Welcome to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days, the podcast where we talk about the opinions of old people and young people, from fair wages, carbon zero, sheen halls, and everything else in between. Kia ora, everybody. Welcome back to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days. Uh, my name is Holly. And I'm Zandi. And today we have a very special guest. We have Chris Bishop, who is National Spokesperson for Housing, Urban Development, Infrastructure, ranked third in the national lineup, and also your chair, the chef of the 2023 election campaign. Is that correct? Correct. Good to be here. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. Anything yeah. else you want to add on to that long list of responsibilities? No, I no, suppose. no. no. <laughs> I'm keen, keen, to, um, keen to lose a few. Uh, uh, <laughs> just joking. Um, I am keen to know... What is the name? What's the background of the name for the podcast? Everybody asks us this. Oh, sorry. Um, it's, okay. No, no, it's okay. I, I, I think it's a kind of an us problem, really. It's supposed to be a bit of an ironic take, like a bit of a cell phone of like everybody well, have, finds politics boring and like it's kind of funny because nobody will like you if you talk about politics. But it's supposed to be a reverse on that, so we make um, politics interesting. It's also sort of a riff on the movie How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Okay, got so it. Based yeah. on that, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. It yeah, obviously cool. doesn't translate well, though, so maybe it's something we need to work on. I think on, it's but... a millennial thing. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but yes, yeah, so we've got, firstly, got some just questions like about yourself. Why did you get into politics? Mm-hmm. What's your kind of background? Mm-hmm. What inspired you to, you know, get ahead in all this? Well, uh, I am turning 40 this year. When I first became an MP, I was actually one of the younger MPs, which is now nine years ago. So I was 31 when I became an MP. Mm-hmm. Um, so I turned the big 4 which is a bit scary. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I went to Vic, um, mm. so where we're sitting right now recording this podcast, I spent quite a bit of time, so I used to do a bit of news reporting for Salient back in the day, a few opinion pieces. If you look up Salient 03, oh, you guys probably me. weren't born. That but, was the um, year I was born. Okay. I was, I was around for a <laughs> Okay. Oh, that's good. Well, you were one. Okay. So if you look up Salient 03 and 04, you can see some, you know, sort of fairly hot-headed opinion pieces from me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to Vic, did a law degree here and an arts mm-hmm. degree, spent a bit of time up at the Pulsar Department under Margaret Clark and... Um, John Johansson, a few others, did law, mm. law down at, um, at uh, Papatea. Um, grew up in the hut, um, so central lower hut. Um, my mum was a journalist. Sorry, my mum was a lawyer. Mm. So studied law. My dad was a journalist. Um, back in the 70s and 80s, did politics and um, sort of so grew up in quite a political family. Mm. And so, yeah, always interested in politics, always interested in law, studied at university. And um, yeah, I, always, people always go, oh, you know, did you always want to be an MP? And then the honest answer is, Sort of, you know, I was always interested. Mm. I did a lot of debating at university, um, at school as well. I was in the debating society up here. And um, yeah, after I left school, I was going to go be a boring corporate lawyer. And um, <laughs> Nicola Willis, actually, um, my, my colleague, our deputy leader, um, was working for John Key at the time. Mm. That was when National was in opposition last time around, rang me up and said, you know, don't don't go and do law, don't go work at Russell Bay, come and work for John Key, he's going to be the next Prime Minister. Exciting. And I went, okay, that's a pretty exciting opportunity. So yeah, worked in the National Research Unit doing speech writing and policy and stuff like that. And then um, National won in 2008, obviously, and um, mm-hmm. spent a bit of time in government. And yeah, and then kind of one thing led to another and became an MP in 2014. Um, so yeah, a bit of a political animal. And um, <laughs> yeah, here I am. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. Very exciting. So just a, a little bit of context. So for people um, who are a little unsure about kind of what the National Party stands for, mm-hmm. we've kind of got some some, some quick fire questions sure. to kind of get the ball rolling. Okay. So these are yes or no, unless otherwise specified. <laughs> <laughs> so very, it's always very tough quick. with politicians. But yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. That's, it. that's okay. the point. So for our first question, in five words or less, what do you think is the most important issue facing young people today? Housing affordability. Good answer. Good answer. Awesome. All right. Do you plan to increase mental health support for university students in New Zealand? 
Yes. Do you support increased funding to public transport? Yes. Sorry, will you revoke fees free for university students? <laughs> we are working. Uh, yes out. or no? Yes or no? Uh, I'm not going to give you a yes or no. We, we, we'll, we'll have more to say about our fiscal plan uh, close to the election. Okay. okay cool. And your favourite musician? Uh, I'm a huge She Hard fan. I know they're not National <laughs> Party fans, but my favourite uh, my favourite band is She Hard. Um, favourite song? Uh, you want me to say Five Eyes or Think You're So Free, <laughs> which is the album they wrote about the last national government, but it's not. No, I'm a big fan of their 1994 Killjoy record. Good. So, so I think housing and like affordability, mm-hmm. things like that, it kind of leads into a first kind of point of discussion of cost of living. Mm. So what are Nationals plan to kind of reduce the impact, especially um, for, for young people these days? Obviously, it's a big issue. It's a big highlight of you know, you know, um, your kind of um, campaign. So what are the kind of policies that you have in place to help young people? So it's really important for everyone, but particularly for students, obviously. And housing costs are a massive one for students, right? Mm. And, and you will all know this, and many of your listeners will as well. Um, rents in Wellington are just completely out of control. And mm. I actually think some of the financial problems that Vic University is experiencing mm. at the moment uh, is because of that. And I know people your age and many people listening who have actively made the decision to go to Auckland or go to Canterbury because the rents there are lower mm. uh, and rents in Wellington are just insane. And so the best thing we can do in central government is fix our housing market, and that's what we're really focused on. So we need more rentals. We need more supply across the whole of the housing continuum. So um, private rentals, social housing, private sector housing, mm-hmm. we just need more houses in Wellington and the whole country, frankly, as well, um, to keep a lid on rent rises and put downward pressure on rents, not upward pressure on rents, um, and provide livable conditions for people, warm and dry homes that should be the right of every New Zealander to live in. You know, over the last 30 years, we have seen just a public policy disaster when it comes to housing. We've seen this largest house price growth in the OECD, mm. essentially the Western world, in the last 20 years. And it's just a it's a public policy disaster. And it doesn't have to be this way. We are not a small country. We're only 5 million people, but our land mass is the size of the United Kingdom. And we've just made it very difficult to build houses in this country because mm. of planning rules and artificial constraints on what we do in our cities, but also on the edges of our cities. So that's was what we're very focused on. And, you know, I'm passionate about it, as you can probably tell. Awesome. Um, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm in Parliament, is to try and fix those problems. The answers are, are, are complicated, um, but not you know, insolvable, you know, yeah, they, they can't be. Other countries have got more affordable housing than we do, so we've got we've been doing a lot of things wrong for There's the last definitely 20 a years. Way forward. It's definitely a way forward. When you say increasing supply of housing, what does mm. that look like? Like how what what are some policies that you have to put forward to try and address that? Well we'll have our housing policy out in, in due course. Um but well, can we get a teaser? Yeah, I'll give you a little <laughs> I'll give you a little taste test. So um I think it's both going out at the edge of our cities, but also up. So, you know, where we're um, sitting right now in, in, you know, sort of century, central Wellington, Kelvin, um, and, and, you know, around the Aro area, um, there is potential for, for more density. You know, we need more apartments. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. We need more apartments in our cities and in and around our major transport routes, uh, for example, near, near buses, near trains. And we're very lucky in Wellington where we've got a fantastic train network running out to, to Kapiti and to, and to Johnsonville, but also the Hutt Valley where I'm from. Uh, fantastic um, services when the 
trains turn up on time and, and when the net rail network's maintained properly and you know we've got a pretty good bus network too again when we have drivers and the, and, the, and all that so currently not so fantastic services. not so fantastic but but you know has been good in the past yeah um you know certainly when i was i mean i grew up on the hut i took the train i didn't mm. own a car till i was 25 yeah you know my first car i bought when i was 25 because i just took the train to school and an upper hut in trentham and um i took the train into town when i had things in town and, and i walked to to um in and around lower hut so you know, I'm an example of how it's possible to live without a car. Um, <laughs> and there are lots of people like that, lots right? Of students so, as well. Correct. Yeah. There are lots of lots of students like that. So when you're walking, cycling, scootering, you know, which didn't exist, um, you know, when I was around. So and, and e-bikes didn't exist, you know. Um, mm. So making all of that easier is is part of the solution. Um, but uh, so we need density in, in our cities, but we also need to go out at the edge of our cities. And in Wellington, that's more challenging than it is in a place like Auckland, for example. But there are greenfields developments in Wellington, mm. um, Wanui Amata, for example, in, in Lower Hutt, where, um, where I, where I um, am a list MP based. Uh, we can do 2,000 new homes in Wanui Amata. You literally go over the Wanui Amata hill, hang a left at Parkway, uh, and you've got house, 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 and then you hit the end of the road, and it's farmland. Mm. And the council's got plans to do 2,000 new homes in uh, Wanui Amata North, it's called. Why aren't we mm. doing that? True. We should True. be doing that. I think I think that the, the only question that I have there is, it, is it not better to concentrate that effort going up in the cities, given that it's probably going to be like cost more money to have sufficient like water and mm-hmm. transport and all that other infrastructure that comes with going outwards? Mm-hmm. Why should we not concentrate it like just in going upwards? I think you need to do a bit of both, right? Because you need a range of housing typologies that suit everybody. So um, for students, uh, mm. many of them don't want to live in Wanui Amata North. It's probably an hour, you know, from Wanui to Wellington for to, for, for uni. Hmm. Um, it's too far. Uh, many students want to live in and around the university, get that, um, you know, on-campus feel and um, enjoy the, the great, um, you know, hospitality and nightlife that Wellington has, <laughs> choosing my words carefully. Uh, so, you know, that, that's fine. Um, but, you know, for, for a family of, of you know, a mum and dad and, and two kids and Saturday morning sport, you know, they, they want to maybe live in the suburbs and... and you need you need housing choice is my point. Mm, so okay, yeah. there'll be a different typologies of housing, different types basically, mm. that suit different people. And the, 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 our planning system not only doesn't facilitate that choice at the moment, but artificially constrains what we can do. Um, so you know we're having this big debate in Wellington at the moment around um, you know densifying in you know places like Mount Victoria, for example, places like Johnsonville, not actually mm. that far from the city. You yeah. know, essentially city fringe suburbs and. Um, similar things going on in Auckland, and you know we we do need to to make it easier to build in these in these parts of the city. I mean, on that point though, um, I was just reading a headline recently that said that suggested that Luxon has gone out and said that he no longer supports the medium density um, mm-hmm. residential standards, which if you aren't listening, make it easier to build higher up in the cities. Yeah, and it's their preferred greenfield developments. So, what is your take on that? So we'll have our full housing policy out in in due course, <laughs> um, but. Uh, I think we've always said on the because the medium density residential standards for those listening is is a was essentially a bipartisan deal um, done between National and Labor to make it easier to build, um, and we've always said we've been open to sensible changes around it. Um, there is a bit of pushback from um, you know some communities around just how mandatory they are in particular parts of the community, um, and so we've always said we're open to sensible changes around that. But I, I do want to stress that we are in favour of more housing and things like apartment developments around train stations and um, going up near rapid transit for example is absolutely fundamental and critical and we're in support of that. 
Cool. cool. Um, just further on the kind of subject of housing, obviously it's a big issue. We were talking to Jessica Hammond from Top, and her um and her take was kind of the culture around housing as an investment mm. in New Zealand is quite problematic because it creates like artificial um like competition in the market which which makes it worse because it drives up house prices mm. what do you think about that because a lot of people are saying we need to move like investment away from housing um and things like that what do you think about that yeah i think um i, I hear i hear her point um i think it misdiagnoses the problem the the problem is the planning system and a inability of our of our system to respond to demand so so the, what i mean by that is um in an ordinary market, and housing is a market, in an ordinary market, if there's a demand for something, um, supply comes in to meet that demand, right? So, you know, you, you want avocados at the supermarket, you know, you know, the supply meets that demand. It's the same for, same for any sort of consumer good. In housing, um, there is high demand for housing, and Wellington's a classic example of, mm. of high, hard, high demand for housing because uh, people want to live here because uh, we've got a great city. But supply is it's extremely difficult for supply to meet that demand. Hmm. As a result of the supply constraints, demand just pushes the price up. That's why rents in Wellington are so high. There's not enough rental housing. Hmm. It's as simple as that. There's not enough rents, not enough rental housing. And so the price that landlords can charge just rises all the time. Um, what we want to do is alter that situation so it's not landlords driving rentals um, and driving the price of it and that they have all the power. Um, it's the other way around. So students have all the power and young people mm. have all the power and people in the rental market have all the power because there's so much, so much rental properties available, so many rental properties available um, that landlords actually compete amongst themselves to get students or get um, renters into the property. The way in which you do that is by loosening those planning restrictions and those, those uh, requirements on, on you know, where and when you can build. So I think I hear what she's saying, but the way through it is not to um, – because they're in favour of things like capital gains taxes and things mm. like that. The way through that dilemma is not to, you know, whack a tax on. The way through is to create so many abundant development opportunities in our, in our cities and at the edges of our cities that the the artificial gain that people can make through housing investment is eroded because the the, the, the artificial constraints that drive that development margin are eradicated. Like it's right, all yeah. it's all artificial, right? So like we, we just in Auckland, for example, we just draw a ring around Auckland and say you can only build here and once you go a kilometre beyond the limit, you can't build. Well unsurprisingly, that drives up the price of land inside the limit and that just suffuses its way through the rest of the market and drives up the price of land and housing right. and therefore housing everywhere else in the city. Um, and the Productivity Commission's done a lot of work on this. The Infrastructure Commission, which the government set up, ha- has done a lot of work, just recently mm-hmm. released a paper on this. So um, that that's the ultimate answer. It's really okay. complicated. I'm not, <laughs> De- I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not complicated. It, it is, but that's the answer. And, sure. um, you know, I think I've given you a bit of a steer as to where we're going. Of Fair course, enough. of course. Actually, on that point, there's been a talking points recently, in the States at least, that there's this big trade-off between um, renting, like between keeping rents cheap and letting people buy houses because... Mm. Obviously, supply and demand arguments. People buy houses, takes rents off the rentals off the market, and there's big talk that policymakers should be making an effort to make sure rents are cheaper rather than keeping. I'm um, trying to like allow people to buy their first homes. So, what is your personal take on that? Well, I think it's sort of it's not a binary. So, um, making rents cheaper makes it easy to buy a first home because many people renting are saving for a deposit, right? And um, that's that's why housing uh, unaffordability is so bad at the moment for, for young people you know people who've left university um have you know 
keep renting to try and save a deposit. You know, typically they'd you know get a job and you know start earning money, start paying back the student loan, um, start to think about buying a house. You know, twenty thirty years ago, you know it was possible in New Zealand to buy a house. You know, in your twenties with a you know with a couple or, or not. Um, that is that is just bloody hard now because rents are just out of control, and then you've got the LVR restrictions on top of that, so you need a twenty percent deposit. The fifth biggest bank in this country is the Bank of Mum and Dad. That's how most young people, or many young people, I should say, get a deposit together. Their parents loan them money, right? And that's that's terrible for their parents, terrible for the young person, creates all sorts of family drama, and it's just it's just an appalling state of, of affairs. Like, why is our fifth biggest bank the Bank of Mum and Dad? It's atrocious. So we need to get back to the idea that you can rent for a while, sure, but you can get a deposit together to buy a house, and that's ultimately got to get house prices down so that mm. those things become affordable and rents are rents are at a moderate level landlords make a return it's an investment class for them that's all good but um, people can you know earn a earn a, uh, a good weekly income and and the, and the difference between you know their outgoings on rent and and, um, and their weekly income is, is what you can save mm. plus food costs and stuff on top of that as well so it's a big driver of the cost of living crisis for students is rents, and, and actually, frankly, also for families, because a lot of families are now refixing their mortgages at six and a half, potentially higher, seven percent on a fixed term rate. Two years ago, they were two and a half percent. So people are now paying hundreds, in some cases, thousands of dollars a week more in interest costs uh, and, and and mortgage um, costs on a weekly basis. So again, it takes a massive chunk out of people's salaries. And, um, you know, again, that is all driven by house prices. One last question on the housing sure. stuff. So the building more houses is obviously like a long-term, medium-term solution. Yeah. Does National have any proposals for short-term um, problems? Like, for instance, obviously this is a radical proposal, but like a, a rent cap or something along those lines. Does National have any sort of short-term policies well, to try no, and we're not. No, we're not in favour of a rent cap. And, um, you know, political. there are a couple of political parties who, who are in favour of it. Um, it. It would be counterproductive. It, it really would. Um so, so no, we won't be doing that. And, and you know, economists don't agree on everything, but the two things they kind of generally agree on, ninety percent of them, is free trade is good, and um, rent controls are bad. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not going to be doing that. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Back to the kind of um, cost of living things. So obviously, National has a lot of discussion about lowering taxes for New Zealanders. Mm. And obviously, that can probably see some kind of like benefit for students keeping more of their money. I think. Probably less so for students and people who earn more money just because of the way that progressive tax systems yeah, work, correct. right? But does that mean that for students that probably has a negative impact? Because when you're taking money you know, out of the government budget and giving it back to people, that just leaves you with less money to deliver on social services like healthcare and education. Will that you know, c- come out of your budget in, in some kind of way? Yeah, so um, we uh, will present our fiscal plan close, close to the election, but you've just got to take a step back a bit and say, Government spending's up 69% in the last six years, right? Mm-hmm. So there's been a, a, a very large increase in government spending. Um, government's now spending, now taking an extra tax, uh, $28,000 per household, mm. um, you know, for every household in the country, more than they did six years ago. I would put it to you that um, you've not seen a 69% increase in um, effectiveness of government spending, um, mm. even though they're taking all that money in. So Is that accounting for inflation? That, that includes inflation. That includes so, inflation. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and inflation's high at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, you know, have we seen a 69% increase in quality in the health system? Actually, on most metrics, the health system's gone backwards. Mm. Same thing with education. Um, child poverty has certainly not moved by 69% downwards. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of waste in the system, and there's a lot of... And I would argue, I would, I would put it to you and, and argue that 
that the system is very unfocused. So um, when you put in place clear accountability and clear metrics for success and gear the public service system up to deliver those, you can you can achieve really good outcomes. And I'll give you the example of emergency department wait times, for example. Mm. Um, mental health is an area that, that you mentioned in the quickfire. $2 billion put into mental health in, in 2019, you know, four years ago now. I don't know many people who would say the mental health system's better now than it mm. was four years ago. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it's a real problem for New Zealand. Um, so it's not always about money. It's often about the way in which you gear the system up yeah. and give it um, clear accountabilities and clear targets um, and also leadership from a ministerial level. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think um, for, for those who don't really understand the like concept of like principled or focused spending, what does that actually look like? You know, for students who actually just don't really know what you're talking about when. Yeah, what, well, when you say I mean, that. put it put it into a, a student context. You know, many many people listening, and probably you guys too. You know, you you, you live pretty frugally. You know, mm. you, you go through your weekly expenses and go, radio. I've got my my student allowance or my student loan living costs, depending on your circumstances, plus your weekly. Um, uh, income from from working, which, which many students do now. You put all that in, and you go right. Oh, here's my weekly incomings, um, and what are my weekly outgoings? Uh, which is you know your rent, um, food costs, transport, um, all your basics. Same as any other household does. The gov- mm-hmm. government is no different. And um, actually, at a time of cost of living crisis, governments, uh, you guys are almost certainly pretty frugal about what you spend money on. Mm. Government should be the same. Um, there's a lot of fat in the system. You know, we've got 14,000 more um, public servants in Wellington compared to six years ago. Um, th- there is a lot of um, a-, a lot of stuff that I-, I just look at and say, why are we doing this? So, you know, $55 million wasted on a cycle bridge that got cancelled. Didn't even end up building it. Let's get Wellington moving, which is the transport program to, mm. you know, try and make it easy to get around Wellington. Everyone's in favour of it. In six years, they've built a pedestrian crossing on State Highway 1, and the business cases are costing hundreds of millions of dollars for for projects that will end up being built. You know that that is a lot of fat in the system. Um, communication staff at the health department or the health agency um, running running ads on Instagram to get people to fill out surveys as to how bad the health system is. You know, tens of thousand dollar contract. There's lots of little things that really add up. And um, you know, certainly when I talk to people on the health system, for example, they say, "Yeah, there's five billion dollars more being spent per year on the health system." Um, but we don't have enough nurses, you know. We don't have enough doctors in the system. But there's a lot of middle management. Yeah. There's a lot of people sitting in the in the back office, you know, writing reports and stuff. So the money's so it's not about it is about partly about increasing spending, but it's mm. about where that spending goes. Right. And so, like every other household does, you've got to go through line by line and go, Rodio, that's that's a nice to have. We're not doing that. That doesn't move the dial. We're yeah. we're cutting that. Um, and you know that, that that's what. Every household has to do, and it's what government should do as well. Okay, that, that makes sense. But <clears throat> zooming out a little bit, yeah, um, does that sort of look like a, a policy of austerity, or does that look like just a policy of being more sensible spending? Auster- I mean, people sort of say austerity. Austerity would be like cu- cutting government spending to below what it was in 2017. You know, so it's, and it's essentially a 69 percent reduction. Government spending has massively increased in the last six years. What we're saying, and we'll present our, our you know, fiscal plans close to the election, so I don't want to jump the gun and get ahead of Nicola, <laughs> she'll kill me. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I just reject the idea that we've got so much more spending in the system, reprioritising that spending and focusing it on better areas, um, is, that's not austerity. That is just sensible reprioritisation. And we think tax 
uh, brackets, so that the rate at which you, you start paying tax at a, at a particular income level, have not changed since 2010. People on average incomes um, are about to um, start paying the middle rate of income tax, um, the, the 30 cent rate. And so they're just people are just being pushed into higher and higher tax brackets because of inflation. It's, it's what's called fiscal drag. Um, and, it, and it's a real problem. And so we don't think it's unreasonable to say, you know what, yeah, we are going to put more money in New Zealand's back pockets. So you, you said before it's sort of government money. It's only government money once it gets taken from people. It, right. Before before that, it's it's individuals' money. It's New Zealanders' money. Okay. Um, so they, they, you know, so we, we don't think it's unreasonable to say, yep, we're going to let you keep more of what you earn. And it's a it's a pretty moderate tax plan. Um, and uh, you know we're you know we, we're the party of uh, of um, of that. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, you've um, <clears throat> a couple of times just during this interview, you've basically talked about how you haven't, you're not going to release the tax, like you've you've cost the fiscal plan for a while now. Like um, I said, soon, soon, <laughs> soon. I think Luxon said four weeks out from the election, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, it depends. It depends what you're talking but about. I mean, what sort of the rationale for that? Because I know, like, ACT has already released their costed plan, and they're going to change some numbers yeah. around once the well, they sort of, come out. They sort of have. Um, it's it's a bit loose, but. Um, the, I mean, so in, in election year, you've got the budget in um, May, which we just had last week, you know, four or five days ago, or well, last week actually, so a week ago. Uh, and then the government has to publish um, what's called the pre-election economic and fiscal update, which is the tr- it's done by the Treasury actually. It's the Treasury's kind of best forecast estimates and things like that. And so it, when, when you're in opposition, you're stuck in this dilemma a little bit where people go, well, how much is your stuff going to cost and what's your plan and all the rest of it? Um, and then it quickly gets out of date because there's more economic data and it comes through and things like that. So um, if you announce everything too early, people go, oh, well, hang on a minute, like that's cost has changed and the forecast's different and all the rest of it, and you're wrong and you're out of date and blah, 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 and you say, well, yeah, and then you have to update it, but then the numbers you know, potentially confuse people. So we, we will present our plans, um, not today, not a week after the budget, but you know, soon, and there's four months to go to the election and people will be able to see where we propose spending money and where we don't, um, and, and what we see the fiscal forecast looking. And it's exactly the same thing that Labor did, by the way, prior to the 2017 election. <laughs> so it's no different. It affects op- it's the same for every opposition in election year, every time. Um, Wait, so we'll just, just to clarify that, you're going to publish that spending document before the pre-election economic forecast or after? N- Nicola's in charge of that, and, and we will... Yep. Um, She's in charge of that. She's in charge of the timing. But we will be very clear and upfront with New Zealanders about about what we what we're proposing. kind of um, environment and I think this is yep. quite a pressing issue for young people like I, I just know a lot of young people who are simply unwilling to vote for the National Party because they feel like you just do not prioritise climate change yep. as like a big part of your policy. Yep. I think what's your response to that and also what climate policy do you have or maybe yeah. plan to put in place to kind of deal yeah. with those I find, I find it so I find it sort of quite frustrating because um, and I accept that that's a, a common view amongst young people, which which I find frustrating. And let me do my best to dispel people's ideas. I mean, the the first point is that the last national government actually did a huge amount for the environment. We established dozens of marine reserves around the country. We um, we were the first government to um, put them. So, firstly, find out what um, was happening in our rivers and lakes. Mm. So, prior to two thousand and eight, we had basically no no data um, or no knowledge about how bad the water quality was in our rivers and our lakes. 
we put in place the scientific monitoring regime to do that, and then after that, we put in place the requirement to set a baseline level um, for river and lake quality, and then that got progressively raised over time. Like we did that. That was an, a national government that did all that. Did a lot of marine reserves um, as well as I mentioned. Um, a lot on waste um, uh, and, and recycling. Anyway, leave all that aside. In terms of the future, um, one of the policies that I'm particularly passionate about is electrification of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've released this policy called Electrify New Zealand. We're a world leader in renewable energy, but 85% of our electricity on any given day is renewable, so hydro, um, geothermal, uh, wind energy. Uh, we have the best wind in the world. Um, you know, you go out to Macra, West Wind, people fly into Wellington, they can see it, <laughs> they fly in. We know it's 43% capacity factor, so in other words, it's running almost um, one and two times. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got the best wind in the world, we've got amazing hydro resources, we've got geothermal, we've got solar, um, we've got incredible renewable resources. Our vision is to double renewable electricity generation mm-hmm. by 2050, which will allow the mass electrification of the New Zealand economy. So it means more electric buses, for example, it means more electric cars, it means more electric trains. Uh, on our train network. Uh, it means Fonterra switching their um, coal boilers to dry milk um, to electricity uh, as well. Um, electrification of the New Zealand economy can drastically reduce our carbon emissions, but it means we can grow the economy at the same time. The cheapest form of energy in New Zealand is renewable energy, and we have bucket loads of it. The issue is the planning system and the consenting system. It sounds incredibly boring, but it's true. It takes seven years on average to consent a wind farm. Why does it take seven years to build a wind farm? Why does it take seven years to reconsent an existing geothermal power station? That's nuts. All of that cost gets put into the system, mm. drives up price, makes it um, very difficult for the people building the stuff to get it away at an economic rate. So we need to radically reform our planning system. And it's not just me who says this, by the way. It's not just National Party propaganda. It's the Infrastructure Commission says it. The electricity companies say it. Um, all of the experts, Transpower, who run the national grid, they say it as well. We need to make it much, much easier to build renewable electricity. Um, And then we need the charging network for electric cars. Um, Then we need to electrify, um, continue to electrify our train network. Um, And, you know, at the last election we campaigned on electrifying the line further down in Auckland. Um, And, and you know, we need more electric buses on our roads. So the the opportunities for New Zealand are so big. Hmm. You know, we, we can and should be a world leader in the electrification of New Zealand. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're very excited about that. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Um, I, I think that that kind of links into what we were asking about public transport before. So yep. you say that, that you're going to increase funding. Um, I think that's, you know, I think um, a lot of people have a conception of the National Party as really liking, you know, roads and cars. That That's always kind of the, like, line that ends up <laughs> kind of There's coming so out. preconceptions about us. <laughs> There is, there is, but I think this is your chance to kind of dispel them, right? There's so many, so. There's so many preconceptions. Like, like we, um, City Rail Link in Auckland, which I know many of your listeners won't know about, but that that's the, um, you know, that, this is it's a rail link in Auckland, mm. literally. It's a loop. It allows um, for, it's going to, it essentially adds 16 state highway, 16 lanes of state highway traffic into mm. Auckland yep. is, the, is the way to think about it, on the rail network. Um, we started that. That's a, that's a national government project. We funded that. It's going to finish. Well, finish in 2026, so hopefully I'll get to cut the ribbon on it. But, you know, it's been built for the last few years. Okay. That, we started that. Um, the electrification of the Auckland Rail Network, we did. Yeah. Um, we extended the commuter rail to Waikanae. Mm. So for anyone listening from Waikanae, um, the ability to get on a commuter train into the Wellington Network, that was under a national government. So, uh, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, conceptions think... are, preconceptions are funny okay. ideas. But actually, speaking of that, yeah. obviously there's been a lot of, like, news articles about the passenger, like, like passenger train movement and, like, yeah. and, like 
a lot of protests in Wellington at least trying to stop traffic and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yes. Crazy. So will Nash, does national sort of support extending our, our rail network, passenger rail at least, out to like other cities from Wellington? Where, where it makes sense, right? So the, so the capital connection between Palmy and Wellington is, is good. Um, but the idea of passenger rail between, say, Wellington and Napier it's just it's just very hard to see that economically stacking up. You've, mm. you've got there's, there's not a limitless pot of funds, right? So you you could run a, rail, a passenger rail from Wellington to Napier. You could. Mm. Would there be the demand there for it? Would the price per um, seat make it justifiable? Mm. If the, if a system is making hundreds of millions of dollars of loss, for example, um, they always be paid for by somebody. I, I would rather focus the system on improving. Um, the system where we already have demand and we already have um, the population density, right? So, mm. so the city rail link in Auckland makes a huge amount of sense because it basically adds a loop to the network and it's complicated, but the simple way to think about it is it allows more trains to run at a higher frequency across the entirety of the Auckland network. So that means the line out west, um, the line out east, and the line um, down um, the, the Puanui line, um, you can do more trains and that means people who live near those train stations, make, it's easier for them to get the train so more people use the train. That, that, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. That, that's a great investment. Wellington, um, same thing. Um, government's just put, um, announced they're going to buy 16 um, new trains, um, electric trains for the network. Um, brilliant. Uh, we support that. We actually, it's essentially, they've stolen our policy. We campaigned on it in 2020. It's a good policy. Um, it means that more people will take the train in Wellington. Excellent. Cool. That, that's a very good idea. Spending money on, um, you know, passenger rail between, I don't know, Hamilton and Palmy. I'm not sure that's a great use of money. The eco- I'm just not sure the economics stack up. But but we are in favour of rail, but it's got to be in the right place. G- give you another example. Um, Hamilton and Tauranga um, is, is, a, is a part of the rail network, uh, which... Uh, it's largely used for freight um, because you've got the inland port there at Waikato in Hamilton, and you've got Tauranga Port, the biggest port in the country, um, and and you know the freight makes a lot of sense there. Uh, upgrades to that rail line make a lot of sense because the the more freight we can get on um, rail is not on trucks on the road holding up traffic, and and it's um, and it's better for the environment too, by the way, because because um, rail is. Uh, so that that makes a lot of sense. So mm. we're in favour of rail investment, but it has to be. You know, sensible it has to be where it makes sense. Um, Fair enough. So, yeah. On that, can I ask you a hypothetical then? Yeah. Would you support maybe a passenger rail network from Wellington to Auckland? Because I know we currently have the um, Northern Explorer. We, we used but, to have it, yeah. but no one took it. Would you support bringing it back? Because uh, uh, pro- they... probably not. No, because because <laughs> no, like no one no one took it, and I'll tell you why they didn't take it. It's because it takes a really long time, uh, and it was very expensive to to try and wash its own face economically, and, and you can just fly. You know, or, or drive. If only we had the Japanese bullet trains, right? <laughs> but, but like, like that's what everyone says, right? But it's Infeasible. never going to happen in New yeah, Zealand. No, of course. So yeah. people go, "Oh, I go to you know, I go to Sydney, and they've got amazing trains." Well, yeah, they've got the size of New Zealand in one city. Or they mm. go to Melbourne, and it's like great, and all the rest of it. Or they go to London, where they've got the tube. It's like yes, London is twenty-five million people. They're five times our population in one urban centre. Yeah. So like that, that's and that's why density is good because mm. density creates economic demand for these sort of services but you know Auckland is is you know over a million people and and you know that stuff makes sense but you know the idea of like regular trains between Auckland and Wellington I mean you could do it, it just cost a lot of money and and as I say money's there's no limitless cash pile for infrastructure we, we've got to focus on 
where we can make the biggest bang for your buck. And mm. you know, you could you could run an Auckland Rail like tomorrow or in a year or so. You could go Auckland Wellington. Yeah, we're going to do three trains a day or something. Um, and, and you could do it, and, and it would lose a lot of money. And the crown, would, the government would have to pay for that. Um, you'd all pay for it through your taxes. I would rather take the same amount of money and, and you know um, extend the rail line to Otaki, for example, because mm. Otaki is on the rail network, but they're not part of the community network. Mm. Um, you, it's uh, you know, and, and big big housing growth up there, big housing growth. Um, I'd rather run more trains from the Wairapa because Wairapa is growing. Mm. Um, Carterton, Greytown, Masterton. Um, it's on the Hutt Valley line, comes in um, under the through, the through the tunnel, goes into Wellington. Um, I'd rather, um, uh, you know, do, do more in Auckland, for example. Um, you go out west in Auckland, for example, um, you go out to Kumu, um, they can't take a train, they've got a railway line, but they can't because the ton- they need to enlarge the size of the tunnel. Mm. I'd rather do stuff like that. That stuff makes sense. So let's get all that stuff done first before we start sort of talking about stuff that's, I'd put it in the nice-to-have category rather than mm. the kind of must-dos. Um, Fair enough. Because there's no limitless pot of money. You know, that, that's, that's, um, that's the sad reality. very much for chatting to us today. I think that I'll kind of talk too long, wrap- sorry. No, it's okay. It's I, think, okay. I think we've kind of wrapped up most of our time. Um, if there's kind of like a final statement you'd like to add or anything you'd like to plug. Oh, I just wanted to say it's, it's, great, <laughs> to, um, it's great to be able to talk policy on a, on a, on a show and I hope, I hope it wasn't too boring for people. But I think it's great Hopefully that you're doing not, this. Yes. Who else have you had on? Um, only uh, Jessica Hammond, but we hope to have, we've got some arrangements with other people oh, coming great. up. So yeah, good. hopefully all my, soon all as well. my competitors. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> exactly. It's totally fine. So hopefully that should be fun. It's, it's very good for people to actually hear hear what it means yeah. for them I think I think there's a, there's a very big divide in kind of like what politicians say will happen versus what you actually understand to be happening to you so I yeah, think it's always right. good to have the yeah. kind of personal conversations about what it means yeah. for people oh, so thank, to, thank you very much for your time thanks for having me